This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Killer Queens. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> that's a fun little ditty. I'm excited because this is the only part of the episode where I can gain any sort of excitement. Yes, that is true. We are about to really crash and burn, aren't we? Yes, it's a it's a tough one. It's a doozy. It is. It is. Yeah. So live it up now, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And and to keep that fun fun train going, we'll just you know let you know that we're on Patreon. Yeah, we are. And there are so many reasons to join. So many reasons. If we had to count them, they would be uncountable. No, exactly. Countless reasons. But here are a few. Yeah. So you can get ad free content over on the Patreon. Boom. Yeah. I mean, that all by itself. Nice, right? You don't have to scroll through them or listen if you don't want to, whatever. Also, you get extra episodes every week. Boom. I know. We have a case by or episode by episode um, recap of docu-series that we cover, and it is called The Doc Jams. They're released on Fridays. We also have a murder mixtape that's released on Wednesdays, and you get a bonus episode too. Yeah. Just like... Full-length episodes. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Crazy, yeah. crazy. You can also catch us on Tuesday nights on Spotify Green Room, 8 o'clock Central. Yeah. Our show there is called True Crime Rewind, and we just talk about different cases, and we actually bring you on to talk so we get to hear your voice. And we've heard some very sweet voices so far. Oh, yeah. We haven't had... Well, we had Steve talk, but we haven't had a, a lot of men talk. No. Mostly been women, but, um, you know, so I'm looking, we're going to try to get a little more man action going on too. (laughs) Exactly. It's really fun though. So you guys should totally check it out. Yes. And, oh, follow us on Instagram if you're not already doing that. We do a lot of fun stuff on there. We're going to, we're getting ready to do some giveaways on there, but you got to be on Instagram. It's going to be honestly just badass, but we're also going to be doing some other stuff on there and you can find uh, pictures related to this case if you go check out the post on this episode. Yeah. So we are Killer Queens podcast on Instagram. Yeah, girl. Yeah. I think that's all the business. Yeah. Why don't we get into it? Let's do it. So here's a little description of the episode. In January of 2018, the country became fixated on a quiet neighborhood in Paris, California. 911 received a frantic call from a young girl who said that she had escaped from her home, where she and her siblings were kept hostage. When police arrived and entered the house, they found David and Louise Turpin and 12 of their children, all of whom were malnourished and appeared to have suffered unimaginable abuse. (sighs) Yuck. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about David and Louise Turpin. Louise Robinette grew up in Princeton, West Virginia, with her two younger sisters, Teresa and Elizabeth. Her sister, Teresa, described her growing up as shy and quiet. Growing up, their family was devout Pentecostal Christians who attended the Princeton Church of God. Their father was a preacher. And this is not just like, oh, we go to church on Sunday mornings. Like, They were at church multiple days throughout the week, either for Bible study or church services, like whatever else is going on at the church. As members of the church, they were forbidden to drink. And during the services, the congregation would speak in tongues and like they lay hands on people. And it's like a thing. This is pretty extreme 
yeah. as far as Christian church services go. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, uh, that's not how they all are for sure. Yeah. So while attending this church, Louise first met David Turpin. David's family was also very active in the church. His mother taught the Sunday school lessons. The two families were very familiar with one another, and because of their high standings within the church, they spent a lot of time together. Louise knew David pretty much all of her life. David Turpin was born on October 17, 1961, and has an older brother, James. Growing up, he was described as very quiet. He was a member of the chess and Bible clubs at Princeton High School. And then there was a Bible club. Louise's sister said that David was always just kind of sitting back and observing and that he was very, very book smart. He graduated from Princeton High School and then went on to graduate from Virginia Tech as a computer engineer. Throughout the years, he would have different jobs, including working at Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grunman. Both are well-known and respected aerospace and technology companies. I mean, he had really good jobs. Mm-hmm. When David was in his early 20s and Louise was in her teens, they began dating. Louise's father, as you can imagine, was not happy about this at all. He was pissed for obvious reasons and told Louise, like, absolutely not. You're not going to date this guy. Well, and I don't know what kind of, I mean, we, we get a little bit of background on Louise, but anybody could probably see this coming, right? Like, yeah. If your dad says, absolutely not, you're not going to date this person, this man. Yeah. Grown man at this yeah. point. What do you think Louise is going to do? She going to date him. I mean, the Little Mermaid was a prime example of this. But daddy, I love him. Exactly. And then he goes crazy and then he shatters everything that she ever loves. Yep. I mean, as parents, what you got to do? I know. Sometimes you just got to. You just got to take out your Triton and you got to just blow shit up. Exactly. Yeah. Not here to be friends. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Not here to show off your rock hard pecs and abs. Yeah. Although you're going to want to do that at some point too. Oh yeah. Never wear a shirt. No. No. Well, mermans don't wear shirts anyway. (laughs) I think it's mermen actually. (laughs) Okay. So Louise's dad was like, hell no. But her mom... Loved the idea of them dating. That's going to cause a problem within the marriage, don't uh you think? Uh-huh. And she let Louise keep seeing David behind her father's back. So. Yikes. Yeah. But you can also see, like, secrets, you know? It's like, let's keep stuff from dad. This is a secret that you and I have. Like, we got to hide this from somebody. You can kind of start to see that developing. It makes him closer. Mm-hmm. She was very fond of David and his family, and in her mind, they were a good Christian family, so it really couldn't be a bad thing. After their relationship had gone on for a while, the couple decided they wanted to get married. So David decided he would um, put on a crazy disguise. He put on a hat and a fake mustache, and he went into Louise's school to check her out, claiming to be her father. And then they decided to elope and pack their bags and set out across the country. And they made it as far as Texas when Louise's father and mother found out where they were and persuaded them to come back home. Her father was, again, not happy with her decision, but he was like, look, if this is the life you want, if you seriously want to marry this person, then I'm not going to stand in your way. Go ahead and do it. And he was like, I'll always be your dad. I'll always be here for you, but you're going to be on your own. Like, you're going to be married. You got to handle it yourself. It's understandable. If this is the life that you're choosing Mm -hmm. against my wishes, yeah, you got to make your bed and you got to lie in it. Yeah. On February 11th, 1985, Louise and David married in a small church about half an hour outside of Princeton, West Virginia. David was 23 and Louise was 16. Oh, see, that really puts it in perspective. When you say teens, I'm thinking, I'm hoping 17, 18. Yeah. 18 would be preferable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lord willing, 18. 23 and 16. That's disgusting. It's disgusting. She was a child when they first started dating. Yeah. I mean, she's still a child when oh, they got married, right, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's just such a huge difference. Like, I know when you're like, you know, 80 and the other person's 73, it's not a big deal, but like, 
16 and 23 is totally different. Mm-hmm. Like, and this isn't like the 1800s. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're going to live past 40 probably. So. So in 1988, the couple had their first child, which was a girl. After their daughter was born, David and Louise decided it was time to leave West Virginia. And in 1992, they relocated to Fort Worth, Texas, and they had another child while there. I live for Mark's headings on (laughs) on these. Uh, It's so funny. So he says, don't mess with Texas. Yeah. While in Texas, the Turpins were living the good life. They lived in a nice two-story home and drove nice cars. Every year, they would fly Louise's family out to visit them and treat them to different experiences. They would go to Disney World, Six Flags, Universal Studios, all of the places, or they would just take them out shopping and out to eat every night. Teresa said that their house was beyond beautiful and just happy. It was always spotless. David and Louise would oftentimes just give their family cash for no reason at all. All of this lavish lavish spending, however, seemed most likely to just be for show. In 1992, the Turpins filed for bankruptcy. They were spending much more money than they were bringing in. And this is only with two kids. Two kids, right? And And they go on to have damn 13. Yep. So I'm guessing the financial strain (laughs) would only get worse. Right. From 1992 to 1996, David and Louise had four more children, bringing the family to six children total. By 1998, the all-expense-paid trips to come out and visit had stopped. The district attorney's office that would eventually prosecute the Turpin parents surmised that the abuse and neglect of the children started around this time when the family was in Fort Worth. Their oldest daughter was attending a local elementary school, and she was picked on because of her appearance. The other children called her the smelly girl and laughed at her because she used a candy bar wrapper as a hair tie to tie her hair back. (sighs) And the thing is, I mean, obviously bullying in any capacity, not okay. She couldn't help it. Yeah. She was just getting by with what she had because her parents were pieces of shit and didn't give her anything. I don't know what you can do as a teacher, but don't you think like if you see a child obviously not having their hygiene needs met, basic needs, Mm -hmm. isn't that a red flag? Like, well, yeah. You know, like maybe we need to look into this or have it investigated or something. I have to assume that the times had to play some part into it, right? Because this is 1998 or around there. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, now we know so much more, but maybe back then it was like, okay, we just, we don't embarrass them, but we don't want to talk about it. We'll just pretend like it's not happening. Which is not the right way to go at all. But I'm I'm just trying to like play devil's advocate and say maybe that's the reason. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. It definitely was. Yeah, different. Because it just seems like if she's having to use a candy bar wrapper as a hair tie and she's to the point of not being clean that everybody recognizes her as the smelly kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something going on there. Absolutely. I'm so sad. And kids are so mean. I don't understand like... Mm-hmm. Why well, have to be so mean? I know. Okay, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Shortly after this, David and Louise began to homeschool their children, which is probably the worst thing that they could have ever done because now the only people that could see the signs and red flags, right? they've removed that completely. Now yeah. they're isolating them. By 1999, another child had joined the group, bringing them up to seven children. Louise and the children retreated from the public almost completely. She had cut ties with her family back in West Virginia. The family also moved out of their home in Fort Worth. When the new owners of their home looked through it, they were taken back by the condition. The carpets were stained and soiled. The walls were covered in dirt and just filth. And some of the doors in the bedrooms had scratches on them. Yeah, and they were like, that's weird. Why do the doors have so many scratches all over them? Exactly. Like somebody was trying to claw their way out. Absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking specifically, this is a terrible reference, but the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. Yeah. At the very beginning, and you see the guy clawing his way, trying to anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. The Turpins moved to Rio Vista, Texas, onto a 36-acre farm. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was the kind of area where neighbors always looked out for one another, but everyone wanted their own privacy and respected everyone else's. Probably the best and worst place for them to be, right? Exactly. Best for their intentions, worst 
for their intentions. Yeah, yeah. One neighbor, Shelly Vineyard, had a daughter who would go outside and play with the Turpin children. They would explore the land, catch crawfish in the local creek, and in general, just do the kind of things that kids growing up in the country did. That didn't last long, though. Eventually, the children would stop playing with her daughter. When they were outside, they were always making sure they were close to home so they could retreat inside if anyone approached them. It's almost like they became feral children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One day, Shelley approached some of the children while they were out near the road. She tried to talk to them a bit, but they wouldn't really engage her. When one child did, another told her, no, stop, as if they were going to get in trouble for talking to her. While she was talking to them, she noticed something peculiar. Their hands were white, like they were wearing latex gloves, but they weren't wearing gloves. Their hands were actually perfectly clean. The rest of their bodies were so dirty that the cleanliness of their hands stood out that much. The children told her that it was a waste of water to wash anything above your wrist. <laughs> Shelly said that was when she kind of pulled back and stopped trying to engage the family. No one notified any authorities about the situation at the Turpin house. Obviously, looking back, she wished she had done more. I, I don't know. I, I know there's a lot that they don't know, you know, and stuff like that. But there was a lot they did know. Mm-hmm. And they didn't say anything to anybody. And it's like you were the only people that could have saved these children around that time. And yeah, you absolutely. Just, and you were just like, ooh, I don't know. It's getting weird. I don't want to talk to them anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's just so sad, like, knowing what you know now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they knew a lot more stuff than just this. So it's not like, you know, it's not like we're, I don't know. And I get, you know, it's not, can't hold everybody else accountable. It's the Turpin's fault. But it's just there are so many people that I feel like could have Mm-hmm. raised the alarm bells and everybody was just like, eh, I don't want to like stir stuff up or, you know, whatever it was. And so they just let it go. And this just so sad. Yeah. These children lived an entire life of just absolute abuse. Yeah. When David and Louise learned that Shelly was asking questions about the family, they forbade the children from playing with any of the neighbors. The children no longer would come out and play during the day. The house was silent all day long. At night, however, the children would be in the front yard playing and the house would be lit up. It was another way for the parents to isolate the children from the rest of the world. Like that by itself. I know. Wouldn't you think like, I don't know. Yeah, something's going on. Like you're not supposed to. I mean, they're they're literally forcing their children to live a nocturnal life. Mm hmm. And that's not healthy. Like, Mm -hmm. it just seems, I don't know. It just seems like you'd say something. Well, in complete isolation like that, that's not healthy either. Children are supposed to be playful and friendly and be socialized. Yeah. And the question she was asking about the family, it wasn't like she was like, hey, what's your dad's safe combination or something? Like, she she was just like, hey, what's your name? My name's Shelly. And yeah. One of the kids was like, well, if you paid really good attention to what we said, you'd probably know our names. And she's like, okay. But they wouldn't tell her their names. And then the other one was like, no, 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 don't talk to her. Don't talk to her. Like, right. You know, stop talking. We'll get in trouble. And that just her being like, hey, what's your name? The Turpins were like, never again. No, they're asking too many questions. Yeah, these are like basic questions that somebody just being friendly would want to, would would ask. Like it's not, yeah. it's not that big of a deal. I don't know. Some other neighbors said that they saw two of the older boys out one night. When they looked closer, the boys were huddled over a trash can digging food out and eating. Again, after this incident, no one questioned what was going on with the Turpin house. Hmm. In 2010, Shelly was taking her daughter to school one morning. On their drive, they saw one of the older Turpin children crossing through a field and over fences. They estimated that from her home to where she would have been was around three miles. A different neighbor picked the girl up. When she was in her car, she asked the girl questions about who she was. The girl didn't know key facts about her own life and the world in general. She didn't even know her own age or who the president was at the time. The girl asked the neighbor how she could get a job, an apartment, and a car. She asked the neighbor to call 911, but she just returned her home to her parents. (laughs) She's literally telling you, I've been held hostage. I need to get out of this house. My parents are abusing me. And she's like, they're there. Go back to your mom and dad. 
You're yeah. just talking crazy. I mean, these are ridiculous warning signs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the woman or whoever didn't seem to care very much. Yeah. It's like, at the very least, just bring her to the police station. I mean, especially if a kid is willing to go to the police station, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's something going on. I mean, and I know that, you know, some kids can make stuff up or whatever, but it needs to at least be looked into if a kid is making an accusation like that. Right. Absolutely. Because they can investigate it. And if it's not founded, it's not founded. But at least do some due diligence and just try. Yeah. Instead because of just looking dropping back on them it. right back off. Yeah. Bringing them right back to their captors. Yeah. There were no reports to the sheriff's office regarding this escape attempt. While in Rio Vista, the Turpin gang continued to grow. Louise gave birth to five more children, bringing their total to 12. The family has pretty much been successful at removing themselves from society. They managed to keep to themselves until in 2001, the sheriff's office was called about the Turpins. In June of 2001, a hospital reported that there was a child with a dog bite. One of the Turpins' pets had bitten one of the children, and David took the child to the hospital for treatment. The sheriff's office followed up, but nothing was out of the ordinary at the home. Mm. I find that hard to believe. Did they not walk inside the house? Right. Like, if you just stand outside, then yeah, maybe you wouldn't notice anything. Right. But their home was like in shambles. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't get it. In 2003, a hog that David owned had gotten loose from its pen. It wandered over to a neighbor's property and ate a 50 pound bag of dog food. The neighbor called the sheriff who went out and talked to David. He put the hog back into the pen and bought a new 50 pound bag of dog food for the neighbor. Since there was no cause to go into the home, nothing ever came of either of these visits by the sheriff's office. In 2010, David lost his job with Lockheed Martin. Their family quickly sunk into debt and their home was foreclosed upon. Then one night, they just disappeared. They packed up in their van and vanished. When they left, neighbors took the opportunity to take a peek inside of the home. As they opened the doors, the family dogs came shooting out, having been left inside and surviving on trash. (sighs) They're just absolute... Horrible people. At the very least, if you're going to leave your family pets, if you if you have to leave your family pets for whatever reason, there is no reason, but if you have to. Right. Leave them outside. Yeah, let them yeah. have a chance. Yeah, exactly. I can't. Yeah. They found a makeshift school set up in the living room. There was trash everywhere. Carpets were ripped up and plywood was laid down. Everything was stained and gross. When Shelly looked into the bedrooms, there were bunk beds set up a few in each room. She noticed that on the bunk beds, there were ropes tied to each of them. She thought it was odd, but assumed that the kids had done it. (laughs) Why would the kids do that? Yeah, we're just having a a fun game of tying each other up to our beds. Like, Yeah, we're pretending to be captor and captive. Like that no kid has ever played that. I don't know. I guess let us know if you ever played a rousing game of tying your sibling up to the bed. I will say, though, that Torella did at some points lock me in between the screen door and the glass door. And she also put a laundry basket over top of me and sat on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I don't see the problem here. Yeah. I didn't tie you to anything. I mean, what? (laughs) Like, you could have gotten out. (laughs) Exactly. See? That's just as long good as someone fashioned came, fun. As long as someone came around to help me out of that jam, but... Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I figured mom or dad would find you at some point. Before um, rigor mortis set in, probably, right? Yeah, see? You're such a piece of... Go ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> I can't even talk to you anymore. In May of 2010, when the Turpin crew abandoned their Rio Vista, Texas home, they headed west and settled in Marietta, California. When they arrived there, the children's world shrank even more than it was before. The neighborhood they lived in was a cul-de-sac much different from the 30-acre farm they lived on in Texas. Once they were in California, David and Louise decided they wanted to, quote, expand their horizons. Louise had never drank or smoked, so they started to go out to bars and experiment. Well, isn't that nice for them? Their kids have to be locked up in their house all of the time. But they're going to go out to bars and stuff just to socialize. Mm-hmm. See yeah. what else is out there. They said they needed to sow their wild oats. Like, that's a hell of a time to do that. You have 13 yeah. kids at home, or 12 yeah. at this point, I guess. 
David had arranged for Louise to meet a man at a bar, and he drove her to the bar, and they met the man, and after a few drinks, they went to a hotel, and as David waited outside, Louise had sex with this man, and they recorded it for David to watch. Oh. Uh, yeah, like, as the other guy, like, are you cool with that? I. That's weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's I mean, super my God. weird. Like, I don't know. I guess there are like swingers and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, if, if it's all consensual, you know, whatever, but it's just, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting. And then a year later, David took Louise back to the same hotel. They got the same room and then they spent the night together in that room. And I guess banged on the same bed that she banged some other dude a year before that. I guess that got him going, huh? Exactly. It got him all riled up. It's unknown how long Louise and David were wilding out, but they eventually stopped experimenting. They also decided that they wanted to open a school. They named it the Sandcastle Day School. Not surprising, though, the only students were members of the Turpin family. Well, they have enough for a whole damn classroom. Yeah, for sure. Authorities theorized that this was just another way to isolate their 12 children from the outside world. Louise's sister, Teresa, also believes that the, quote, school was just a cover to keep people from looking into the family. If the children weren't going to public school, there was no reason for anybody to look into why they were so neglected. In 2014, the Turpin clan was again on the move. This time, they ended up in Paris, California. After their rescue, authorities said that they thought their abuse intensified once they arrived in Paris. When there, they allowed their eldest son to take a class at a local community college. And a classmate said that whenever he came to class, Louise always waited outside for him. And when class was over, they immediately left. He never talked to anyone. Some days there would be food in the class, like donuts or pizza. And the classmate said that when there was food, he would just stay at the table and eat nonstop. Like, just hoovering it. Slice after slice after slice of pizza. Yeah. I mean, that's so sad. It is. At this point, Teresa and their family started to question what was going on with them. She asked why the older kids didn't have cell phones or why they weren't ever allowed to talk to them. And Teresa, I think, was three years old when David and Louise got married. She was really young. Mm -hmm. So she didn't, like, super grow up with her, I guess. But um, she definitely looked up to her when she was growing up. But, you know, as she's, I mean, she's the same age or close in age as some of their kids. And it's like, why can't I talk to them? Like, Mm -hmm. some of them are grown. Why can I not, why do they not have a cell phone? That's super weird. Right. Louise told her that the kids didn't want to talk to her or any of the other family members. They just wanted to stay home and help her raise the children. Neighbors reported that the Turpins were very standoffish. Not in a rude way, but just in a, like, I'll stay in my lane, you stay in your lane kind of way. Like, let's just not bother each other. Mm-hmm. When the children were rescued, some neighbors claimed that they didn't even know they had children. Like, how? You have 12, and how do you not know about one? I know. Yeah, it's like, that's how isolated they were. They were like, I didn't even know there were children in that house. Like, in 2015, they welcomed their 13th and final child. David also planned a wedding vow renewal in Vegas with an Elvis impersonator, and all 15 members of the family were in attendance. And this is, like, rare. And this, this vowel renewal is so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. And it's got to be so weird for the kids to be like, first of all, some of them have never been outside of the house Mm -hmm. ever. And so now they're going to Vegas. It's got to be like a sensory overload. But also like, I'm supposed to sit here and look happy while my parents are renewing their vows and they get to eat as much food as they want and they get to do whatever they want. And I've been chained to a bed for six years. Right. And I'm not allowed to wash anything above my wrist. Mm -mm. I just, what the hell? Their 17-year-old daughter managed to reach out to the outside world. She was able to get internet access and create a YouTube account under the name Lacey Swan. She would record and post videos of original songs that she wrote and performed. 
And in hindsight, the song titles are very telling. We've got What's Wrong, You Blame Me for Everything, So Weak, Where is the Key, and It's Over. Mm. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. I wonder how she got internet access, though. I know. And what was she using? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But I I mean, thank goodness she was able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. After a certain point, Louise started to just send pictures of the new baby to Teresa. Teresa constantly asked for pictures of her nieces and nephews, but Louise only sent pictures of the baby. When pushed as to why, Louise always said that it was hard to get everyone together, but she would eventually. Louise also mentioned to her half-brother that she and David were thinking about having another baby. He thought she was joking or playing around just to see how he would respond to get a rise out of him. Billy has mentioned that when he was talking to Louise about having another child, she told him that they were moving to California to be closer to Hollywood. She said that their family was perfect for TV and that they could be bigger than the reality show Kate Plus (laughs) 8. It wouldn't go the way Louise thought it would. You know what I mean? I mean, these kids are so isolated from the outside world, they probably don't even know much about TV, if at all. Yeah. And I don't think that networks are looking for um, a reality show about children who are systematically abused every single day and malnourished. Absolutely. (sighs) Billy said that she genuinely thought people would be fascinated by their lives. They thought it would make them millions and that they would become a household name. They didn't care about the kids. It was all about them and them being David and Louise. On January 14th, 2018, two of the girls decided they were going to try to escape and get help. A younger sibling who was 13 and an older sibling, 17, escaped out of a window of the Turpin house. 13-year-old got scared and turned back and went back to, into the window. The 17-year-old ran. She ran a good distance and pulled out a cell phone she took for, with her from the home. When she tried to dial at first, she was so scared that she was shaking. Eventually, mm. though, she calmed herself enough and she called 911. Mm. So sad. Yes. Okay, Charlie, you be the dispatcher. Okay, I live in a family of 15 people and my parents are abusive. They abuse us and my two little sisters right now are chained up. And how many of your siblings are tied up? Two of my sisters, one of my brothers. How are they tied up? With rope or with what? With chains. They are tied up or they're chained up to their bed. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? No. Like, oh my gosh. So I guess David and Louise, like, literally had no idea that kid was gone because they have so many kids. Right. And they didn't know that the police were coming in that moment because... I guess. I mean, yeah, they would have had to have time to make everything look completely fine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Officers were dispatched, and when they found her, she showed them pictures of her siblings and their living conditions inside the home. The police immediately asked her to take them to the house. When they knocked on the door, Louise was shocked and perplexed as to why they were there. David and Louise were unable to provide any logical reason as to why the children were shackled and chained. The children had been planning their escape for more than two years. When the police raided the home, they found one child still shackled to the bed, and it appeared that two others had just been recently released from the shackles. Initially, the police thought that the children were all under 18 years old because of the level of malnourishment. Seven were, in fact, over the age of 18. (sighs) Seven. Jeez. During a January 19... 2018 press conference, Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron read the charges that were filed against David and Louise. 12 counts of torture against David and Louise, one count of lewd act on a child under 14 years of age by force, fear, or duress against David. When asked about this, the DA said that David touched the child. Seven counts of abuse of a dependent adult against David and Louise, seven counts of child abuse or neglect against David and Louise. 12 counts of false imprisonment against David and Louise. David was charged with perjury at a later date related to affidavits he filed with the California Department of Education over the years, claiming that the children were being educated in a private school. Mm. The date range of the charges were from 2010 to 2018. If convicted of all of these charges as filed, they would face 94 years of life imprisonment or two life imprisonment. Hestron then gave some details about the case. He gave an overview of the case in hopes that anyone with additional information would come forward and speak with the DA office. Hestron said that the parents had completely reversed the children's sleep cycles. They would sleep all day and be up all night. This was a way to keep them from being seen outside during the day and keep them isolated. These sleep patterns continued well past their rescue as well. Yeah, I mean, that would be so hard to, you couldn't just be like, okay, well, I'm going to start sleeping at night now. Like, no. 
But like, I wonder, did they also sleep during the day or did they have their regular sleep cycles? I don't know. You would think that they would have to have had the same kind of sleep cycle, right? Yeah, unless they just would keep them chained up. Yeah. During the day or something. Very true, yeah. I don't know. Hey, you guys. um, It's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw threw you for a loop on this one. (laughs) Uh, So we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes 1 through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. Starting many years ago, the children were tied up to their beds as a form of punishment. In one instance, a child was hogtied. When the children began to be able to escape being tied up, their parents moved on to using chains and padlocks. They're like, oh, well, we'll fix this. No big deal. Yeah. 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 Once your kid is big enough to get out of the ropes and hog ties that you use, it's time to bump up to chains. Like, like most parents are like, when do I start using the chains though? Cause I'm not sure like when I introduce that. That's a tough one to figure out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if they're getting out of those ties, then you're going to need the chains. That's, that's how you know. Yeah. That's the indicator. Yeah. They would be chained up for weeks or months at a time. Upon searching the home, there was evidence that showed that while they were chained up, the children weren't released to go to the bathroom. Mm. Hesterin said that the abuse began when they lived in Texas, but it intensified as they moved to Marietta, then to Paris, California. All the children suffered from severe caloric malnutrition. The 12-year-old was the weight of an average average seven-year-old. The 29-year-old weighed 82 pounds. Goodness. David and Louise would buy food for themselves, but not the children. They would often buy pies and leave them out on the counter for the children to see, but not eat. They would eat the pies in front of the children. Several of the children had impairment to their cognitive abilities because of the abuse. The children were allowed to shower only once a year. If they washed their hands above their wrist area, they were playing in water and beaten, then chained. (laughs) When investigators were talking to the children, it became clear that many of the children lacked knowledge of just basic life. Many didn't know what a police officer was. The 17-year-old didn't know what medication or pills were when she was asked if there were any in the home. Shockingly, the Sandcastle Day School didn't offer a great education of these children. But it's a private school. I know. I thought those were the best. Right. They usually are, but I think to be a good private school, you need to remove the chains, actually teach things, and maybe feed the children. Oh, see, I thought a private school was like all chains. Right. These are conditions that are worse than prison. Yeah, much worse. It's terrible. And like a child who, I mean, it's good that they don't have to take a lot of medicine. Like, I guess the likelihood, though, is not that they're just so healthy that they've never, ever, ever, ever been sick. It's just that they've never, ever, ever received any medical care at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, that's insane. Ugh, so terrible. The police discovered that none of the children were allowed to have or play with any toys, although there were several toys spread throughout the house. They were still all in their original packaging. It seemed that they were almost left out just to taunt the children. (sighs) One time, Louise struck and began to choke one of the girls just for watching a Justin Bieber video. (sighs) One of the few things the children did have access to when they were locked in their rooms or chained to their beds were journals. Police recovered hundreds of journals from the home. DA Mike Hestron described it as very severe emotional and physical abuse. This is depraved conduct. What started out as neglect became severe, pervasive, prolonged child abuse. During the press conference, a reporter asked why there were 12 counts of torture instead of 13 when there were 13 children. He stated that from all appearances, David and Louise actually fed the two-year-old 
and that the basis of torture charged st- charges stemmed from them not giving the children food. Yeah, it's just really, really strange, but it's like they started to kind of think that maybe they had so many children because Louise liked the infant stage. stage. Uh-huh. And like, that's when the child needs you the most. And I mean, Diane Downs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot, but there are women like that. And then as they got older, it's like she wanted nothing to do with them. I don't know if the other children, when they were really little, if they were abused or if like they all got food when they were, you know, under two or three or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we definitely know this child did, which thank goodness, at least somebody got something. But but I mean, we just talked about it in the Ariel Castro case. Like that breeds resentment. Yes. All of the other kids would probably look at this young child and while probably loved this child, were like, why do, why do they get to eat and I can't? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just awful. It's awful. Teresa, Louise's sister, spoke in the Turpin 13 Family Secrets Exposed about abuse that she and Louise suffered as children. She made it very clear that she didn't think that this excused her sister's actions. Teresa told a story of how the girl's mother would let their grandfather abuse the girls in exchange for money. Gross. That is disgusting. And like literally he would do whatever it is that he was going to do and then he would put money in their hands. That's awful. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (sighs) she said i can still feel his breath on my neck as he whispered be quiet we begged her not to take us to him but she would simply say i have to clothe and feed you louise was abused the worst he destroyed my self-worth as a child and i know he destroyed hers too this makes me think of the reba song fancy but it's not it's 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 a grandfather Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh so awful awful David and Louise would eventually both plead guilty and avoid any trial, but leading up to that, it is believed that Louise's defense was going to focus on the abuse she suffered as a child and make that the focus of her defense. After a while, though, on February 22nd, 2019, both David and Louise pled guilty to one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, four counts of false imprisonment, six counts of cruelty to an adult dependent, Both were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Experts believe that they will never be paroled, though, based solely on the severity and heinous nature of their crimes. They better not ever be paroled. Yeah. I mean, I will personally go and make sure that I say they should not be paroled. Yeah. Well, and if they were paroled at 25 years, that's still not as long as they were abusing their children. No, not at all. And you can't, um, I mean, I can't imagine what their kids would feel like after getting all of the treatment and care that they need and deserve. And then hearing later when they've been hopefully rehabilitated as much as they can be living their lives and be like, well, your dad's going to get out of jail soon. Yeah. Like, (sighs) no. Yeah. He, He doesn't get to have that right because the thing is, both of them are getting way better treatment in prison yes. than they gave their own children. 100%. So they don't deserve to be released. Mm-mm. No, not at all. This is like one of those cases. I mean, I don't really believe in solitary confinement. I think it's pretty I think it's cruel and unusual, but yeah. But in this case, I would be kind of okay with it. I wouldn't have any feelings, I don't think. Well, because even that is better than what they, uh huh, uh, yeah, you know, allowed their children. Yeah. Like, it's just, I say the maximum punishment because even that is better than what they, what they gave their kids. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. All of the Turpin children spent several weeks in hospitals. Six of the minors were released and placed into two foster homes. Later in 2018, Teresa, Louise's sister, and Billy, Louise's half brother, both said that they wanted to take in and adopt their nieces and nephews if they were allowed to. After a while of trying to work through the process, Teresa realized that she wouldn't be able to simply because she had five children of her own and it would be very difficult for her to provide for a family that size. In an update in April of 2020, it was stated that all of the minor children had been adopted, but no further information was given due to the fact that they were minors. The older children have adjusted to quote-unquote normal life as best they can, 
It was reported that one of the siblings even graduated college and was pursuing a career as a medical field technician. A lawyer for the sibling said it was a completely new experience to that client. It was frightening a lot of the time, but completely gratifying. And they don't want their experience they went through as children to define them. They want people to know that they are normal, young, healthy adults doing what everyone else is doing out there. Most reports and information about this case does not reveal any of the children's names, and we have followed suit. These children and adults have been through horrors that many people will luckily never have to experience, and they deserve any privacy that they can get. David and Louise were adherents of the Quiverful movement. The Quiverful movement is a theological position followed by some conservative Christians. These people see large families as a gift from God. It encourages procreation and abstinence from any type of birth control. The couple having kept having children because God called on them. From 1988 to 2015, David and Louise had 13 children. So here's my problem with that. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think that it can go without saying. I think that if you are a believer of the Quiverful movement, if that's who you are and you're following that, and you think that having children is a gift from God and that you, shouldn't you like treat them in a way that right. would be Honor, godly? yeah. Yeah, if you're, if you're going with that theory, yeah. And God is calling you to have children, more and more and more children. Yeah. Isn't it kind of uh, slapping God right in the face to just abuse them horrifically the whole time they're alive? Yeah, I think so. A little bit. Yeah. You are not honoring them the way that the Bible states to honor your children. Like, yeah. Mm-mm. David Turpin was sent to the Mule Creek State Prison, but eventually was transferred to California State Prison, Corcoran. Louise Turpin is in the Central California Women's Facility. Hopefully there are barbers in David's prison so they can do something about that damn haircut. Because I'm telling you, it's a mix between Lloyd Christmas and Harry from Dumb and Dumber. More Harry than Lloyd, but still bangs. Oh, it's just terrible. He has had the same haircut since 1971. And let me tell you, uh, David, it wasn't working then and it sure as shit is not working now. No, it's so bad. Like, mm-hmm. like every picture I saw, I was like, he still has the same fucking haircut. Like, what yeah. is he doing? I bet that's why they fired him from his job. <laughs> They're like, dude, I, mean, I can't with this fucking haircut anymore. And the thing is, he's got a head full of hair. I mean, he was blessed with some hair. Yeah. He could do all kinds of things with that hair, but nope. No, he just ruined it. Ruined it. It's just, oh God, this case is so sad. Really is. And those poor kids just having to go through processing all of that. I mean, that's, that's going to be something that they have to work through the rest of their entire lives. Well, yeah. And the most genuine and unconditional love that you should receive should be from your parents. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. All they learned from them was cruelty and hate and isolation and punishment. That's all that they learned from them. So how is that going to work moving forward? I mean, I'm sure they have to be in a a lot, a lot of therapy. And I hope that they're getting everything that they need. And I hope that they are just like night and day different from Mm -hmm. what they experienced. Yeah. And like going through that, for the kids is a life sentence because they've got to work through it the rest of their lives. They're always going to have this like trauma and they're probably going to have flashbacks and nightmares and like all kinds of stuff. And, you know, eventually, hopefully it gets easier to deal with, but it's always still there always. Mm -hmm. And like you said, how do you trust people after that? Like, how do you move on and, you know, get married or have friends like, and they've never even until you know, pretty recently, they've never even been around other people. Like they had the other children there, but that's not the same as socializing. Like it's still completely different. Right. So it's like they come out of there and it's like being in the bunker and like blast from the past where like right. the whole world is like, what has happened? I don't, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Like, but they get a life sentence of having to heal from this for the rest of their lives. And if David and Louise get out anything short of a life sentence, I will be so pissed. If they don't come out in pine boxes, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, Because if their children have to serve a life sentence, then they should too. Absolutely. I agree. Oof. 100%. 
Yeah. I threw my computer out the window. Oh, that's gone. Did you go with it? Because you sound great still. Yeah, I did. I have a parachute. Fly through the air with the greatest of ease. <laughs> yeah. This fucking case, man. <sighs> but yeah, that's that's it. That's it. So let us know what you guys think. Had you heard of this case? I know this was kind of a a big case. I remember hearing about it when it happened. I absolutely remember hearing about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, awful. It is. But yeah, let us know what you think. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we go for today, we have some Hey Girl thanks for our newest patrons. Yes, thanks to Kristen, Emily Lyons, Ellie, Natalie Lynch, L. Casson, Michael Pennington, Hulk Dad 77. Woo, that's a good one. <laughs> Brianne Welty, Cameron Quick, Kate Shoemaker, Mallory Bertelson, Janessa Annie, Heather Wolf, Caitlin Williams, Alexandra Rice, Elizabeth Zelinsky, Athens Espatia, Shakia Gant, Gina Hallowell, Hannah Fife, Rhiannon, Ashley Dowell, Madison Morris, Tiki Mara Leslie, Sierra McGuire, Alicia Johnson, LB Todd, Crystal, Michaela Lovegrove, Chandra Bubel, Caitlin Heat, Skylar Bean, Rebecca Kinnefic, Sarah Lee. And actually, I think Caitlin is Caitlin Heath. I think it's a typo. Oh, and maybe it was a typo. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Okay. Well, yeah. We love you guys. Thank you so much. And if you are a patron whose name we have just announced, then make sure that all of your contact information, everything is correct in Patreon. Make sure that you are getting your emails from us. You should be getting emails. So uh, make sure we haven't ended up in your spam folder because all of our fun shits that we do is going to come to you via the emails. Yes. Thank you so much. We love you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 